A mother who tried her best to protect her children would soon spark media outrage across the nation when her two children went missing. She would not tell the media or her family and friends where the children were, leading many to worry about their welfare. The true monstrous details of this case would soon come to light when investigators found partially burnt human remains on her new husband's property. A series of events that have left many confused. How could a once loving mother suddenly find her children to be inhabited by evil spirits and refer to them as zombies? How could she think the only way to save them was by killing her children? And what's more, who the hell is Chad Daybell? Welcome to another episode of Crimson Sin with Tamsin Lee. I am your host, Tamsin Lee. Full show notes and sources can be found at tamsinleecrimsonsin.podbean.com. This case about the so-called doomsday mom, Lori Vallow, who captivated the entire nation with her stunning beliefs. And I'm not using the word stunning in a positive way. How the events unfolded and the key details baffled many people. And it was slightly confusing to understand how everything played out. In my personal opinion, I believe wholeheartedly that Lori Vallow Daybell suffers from some sort of mental health issue, making her gullible and easily led. I think that she had experienced a lot of hardships in her life which caused her to lean into her religious faith, and I think Chad Daybell kind of used her faith and gullibility to make her do things he wanted her to do. Which, there's nothing wrong with a person who is experiencing hardships to, you know, lean into their beliefs to strengthen them in these moments of feeling weakness or when feeling lost. But Lori Vallow-Daybell took her beliefs to an extreme level. Again, it is my personal opinion that she had some sort of undiagnosed mental illness, so do not take it as fact because it is merely speculation on my part. And this case is currently ongoing, so some of the information that I provide in this episode may change after more is released and revealed. So this episode may become, you know, outdated, but it does follow the important events in the case. So let's take a look at Lori Vallow Daybell's early life and how her life spiraled. Lori Vallow was born on June 26, 1973, in Loma Linda, California, to Janice and Barry Cox. She is the third of four children, having two older brothers named Alex and Adam, and one younger sister named Summer. Her mother described them as ordinary back then, a big family that had a lot of fun together. The children were raised in the LDS Church, which is the Latter-day Saints, and loved the Book of Mormon. Janice stated that Lori especially loved all the scriptures and took to it right away. 
Lori Vallow married almost as soon as she graduated from high school in 1992 at the age of 19 to her high school sweetheart, but the marriage quickly deteriorated. Next, she married a man named William, which I'm not going to try and pronounce his last name because I just, I just can't. <laughs> so she married William in October 1995. Lori had her son Colby in 1996 when she was 22. The relationship was described as bad and reportedly she told her son that she did not want him to be a part of that or be in that situation. So she took her son and left the marriage in 1998. It was stated that Vallow and her third husband, Joe Ryan, moved pretty fast in their relationship. They married in 2001. Colby stated that he was genuinely a sweet guy and appeared to be everything he and his mother wanted. They wanted a big, happy family, and Joe Ryan appeared to be the perfect suitor to make that happen in their lives. Joe even adopted Colby. From this marriage, Lori became pregnant with her little girl that she named Tylee. The couple were very excited about having a baby together, but not as excited as Colby, who truly adored his new baby sister. Tylee was born on September 24, 2002. Not long after Tylee was born, Lori entered the Miss Texas Beauty pageant in 2004. She also appeared as a contestant on Wheel of Fortune that same year, winning $17,500. While still married to Joe Ryan, things started to take a turn for the happy family. Joe appeared to start becoming more annoyed with Colby. Colby stated that it was just over normal little kid things, but he remembers that Joe would just become so aggravated with him, and he didn't use these moments as teaching lessons, like how to not smack your lips while eating and such, but he used discipline to remedy the problem. Still, the situation escalated to Joe punching Colby in the back of the head. Colby and Lori also claimed that Joe Ryan would sexually assault Colby while he was eight years old. Colby had told his mother about what happened, and he remembered her growing very silent. Then she took the kids and left in 2005. According to Colby, this seemed to appear as one of the crucial turning points for his mother. Lori even claims that after this, she started going to the temple more because she didn't know what to do. She said she wanted to kill Joe Ryan for what he did to her child. So, according to her, she decided to turn to the temple at that point. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with, you know, turning to your beliefs when you're experiencing a tough time. Alex Cox, who is Lori's brother, was described as the oddball of the family, but he had a great sense of humor and dreamt of being a stand-up comedian, which he did perform some stand-up acts. In 2007, Alex Cox attacked Joe Ryan. He tased Ryan, claiming he had been abusive to Lori and the children, 
and was sentenced to jail time and received probation for the incident. Joe Ryan was actually found dead in his apartment in 2018 from a heart attack. Lori was still listed as his next of kin, and she was notified of his death, but she never told anyone. His family found out five weeks later when his body remained unclaimed. Like, she didn't even have the decency to call her ex-in-laws and let them know that, you know, Joe Ryan had passed away. In February 2006, Lori married Leland Anthony Vallow, who more commonly went by Charles, and is her longest marriage to date. Lori was a hairdresser and met him through one of her clients. Charles was born and raised Catholic, but converted to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for Lori. Colby believed that the reasons his mother married Charles was because, well, yes, she loved him, but he was also financially secure. He proved to them that he wanted to take care of Lori and her children. Charles had two sons from a previous marriage, and the couple adopted his grandnephew, Joshua Jackson Vallow, in 2013. Joshua Jackson also goes by JJ, so through the rest of this episode, we're going to be calling him JJ. Charles' sister, Kay Woodcock, had a son who could not take care of JJ, especially since he was diagnosed with autism. Kay and her husband, Larry, were older and felt that they could not raise a young child, which is understandable, you know, young children are full of energy that is even difficult for young adults to keep up with, right? So the couple thought that JJ would be better with a younger couple and asked Charles and Lori if they would adopt him. The family adored JJ. Tylee and Colby were very close to him and Lori was described as being very patient with him. But this is around the time that Colby realized that the house slowly started to portray more and more religious pictures in the home. Which there's nothing wrong with devout followers of any religion to have these items in their home. This is just a change in his mother that Colby witnessed and he felt it was important to state at this moment. Lori started displaying pictures of temples and such in various rooms of the home. Slowly, all of the decorations in the house were replaced with these images. Soon, Lori claimed that she heard a voice telling her that her and her husband needed to move to Kauai, Hawaii. So that's what they did in December 2014. Life appeared to be going very well for the Vallow family when they moved to Kauai. To Colby and Lori, it was like the ultimate payoff for everything bad that happened in their lives. A friend of Lori's that she met while living in Kauai stated that she was happy when her and Lori connected. The friend named April was a single mother. She claimed that there was a lot of stigma in their church for her being divorced. So naturally, she would find a friend in Lori because she had experienced you know, three divorces by this point. April also stated to her, it appeared that Charles and Lori had the ideal marriage. But then as they got to know each other better, April claimed that Lori would complain a lot about Charles. 
she did not believe that he was her spiritual equal. It appeared to her that Charles always appeared to be trying to play catch-up as far as certain concepts were concerned, which at this point in my research, it was kind of like, okay, well, give the man a break. You know, he was raised Catholic and he converted to LDS. So there's going to be a learning curve when it comes to ideologies and practices. April further stated that Lori really wanted someone who was spiritually on her level and with being married to Charles, she felt he was holding her back. At this point, it seemed that her beliefs became a lot more extreme. She even told April how she had a personal encounter with the angel Morone and that he was someone she was in regular communication with. So in the Latter-day Saints, Morone is believed to be the same person who was a Book of Mormon prophet warrior who was the last to write in the Golden Plates. But April did not appear to believe Lori much about these claims. April thought that maybe these beliefs were just a way to give Lori's life meaning or some kind of identity. Then, not long after that, the Vallow family moved to Chandler, Arizona. This is where Colby met his future wife and started to attend college, among a lot of other important changes that started to occur in his life. While still dating Kelsey, he attended a Christian church, which Colby stated his mother was very upset about. Kelsey felt that Lori was always competing with her for Colby's love and attention and that she was very passive-aggressive. When Colby and Kelsey were engaged, Lori became even more bizarre to Kelsey. She would tell her random off-the-wall things such as, Jesus loves you, but he loves me more. At their wedding, Kelsey said it was even more strange. After the bride and groom finished taking pictures with the bride's family, they started taking pictures with Colby's family. This is when they noticed Tylee was missing. Lori stated that she was on a ski trip, which struck the couple as odd because the children were close. And this is also something that you just don't do to a loved one on an occasion that is this important milestone in their life. Things became even more strained between Colby and Lori after he married Kelsey. Family also stated that after the wedding, Lori became really sad and there was this noticeable shift in her when it came to talking about her religion. She was a lot more focused on the end of times and stated how scary it was. This is when she started to buy huge supplies of rice, beans, powdered milk, tents, and just any and everything to prepare herself for the end of time. Colby stated it was as if she was preparing for like a Walking Dead type of scenario. Lori's mother Janice stated that when she came back from Hawaii, Alex and Lori started listening to podcasts together. April, her friend from Hawaii, was still trying to wrap her mind around and understand Lori's belief system. And this is when Lori told her about these podcasts her and her brother were listening to and how she was a part of a podcast with a woman named Melanie Gibb. 
Lori's mom, Colby, and Tylee specifically started to become weary of Lori at this point. They thought something was kind of off about her. In my opinion, you know, it seems like at first she was just a part of the doomsday prepper trend. And really, there's nothing wrong with being prepared, just looking at it objectively. But now, it is as if the family started noticing and realizing this kind of shift in her that they couldn't really put their finger on. It was through her church that Lori became friends with a woman named Zulima. Colby was happy that his mother was making friends because she did not really have a lot of friends who she could just let loose with and have fun. They had no idea that she was actually in a group where she would soon make some pretty unforgivable choices. Sometime in 2015, Lori Vallow became obsessed with Chad Daybell's Standing in Holy Places book series. His books are said to have been about the end of days. A snippet of the description for his book series from Amazon states, Then comes an invitation from church leaders for the saints to gather together. This invitation isn't well accepted and even openly mocked. But those faithful church members who trust in the Lord soon find themselves accomplishing monumental tasks. Join these humble yet heroic saints as they embark on an unprecedented journey to build New Jerusalem. So Chad Daybell was born on August 11, 1968 in Provo, Utah. There is not a lot of information pertaining to his childhood. However, in order to truly understand Daybell's line of thinking, we have to look back at his life in 1985. During this time, Daybell was a missionary, which I'm sure everyone listening knows that their duty is to just knock on doors, talk with people, tell them a little bit about their beliefs to have them convert. Then they would be baptized to the Latter-day Saints. Chad actually held the record of having the most people converted in the New Jersey area. The missionaries go out in teams of two, and his partner during these missionary assignments stated that Daybell was easily approachable. He was not a recluse, but he was quiet and gentle. When he completed his mission, he returned to Utah where he encountered his first near-death experience, cliff diving at Flaming Gorge. Daybell bumped against the cliffs and claimed that he was knocked unconscious. This is when he believes that he can look beyond the veil and bring back visions from the future, to which, in his mind, he believes that it gives him the power of being a prophet. Chad married Tammy Douglas in Mantee, Utah on March 9, 1990. Daybell's partner during his missionary work described Tammy as the more vivacious one, the more lively one. The pair seemingly matched well in a sense because it was a nice mixture. You know, he was more reserved, she was more outgoing. So, their personalities kind of complemented each other. He married the first woman he ever really dated. 
So together, Chad and Tammy have five children named Garth, Emma, Seth, Lee, and Mark, and was described as being a loving father and husband. In 1992, Daybell graduated from Brigham Young University with a BA in journalism and would soon work as a copy editor for a daily newspaper. He also worked as a gravedigger during and after his studies. An errand for Emma was his first religious-themed fiction book that was published in 1999. Not long after this, Chad decided to leave his job at the cemetery to focus on his writing. He published a nonfiction book titled One Foot in the Grave in 2001, which chronicled his experiences working in cemeteries. In 2004, Daybell founded Spring Creek Book Company. He used his own publishing company to self-publish his beliefs regarding religion and the end of times. Through this venture, he published dozens of fiction and nonfiction works aimed at a Latter-day Saints audience. He also found an audience in those who were concerned about the second coming of Christ. Chad's novels often depicted apocalyptic situations and dystopian futures, which always featured characters based on his own family. Spring Creek Book Company also published several other authors, including The End of Days clairvoyant Julie Rowe. One Spring Creek Book Company published author named Susan Freeman stated that Daybell's religious views had radicalized during the 2010s. His books had become less focused on Latter-day Saint teachings and more focused on the apocalypse. She had stopped working with him during this period because she felt that his views and beliefs regarding the apocalypse were very dangerous. With his convictions set on the end of days, he would tell that only the righteous would survive and that there were 144,000 chosen ones who would be saved. These chosen ones would ride out the storm until the New Jerusalem was established and carry on the work of God into eternity. Chad also claims that he had two near-death experiences which allowed him to receive those supernatural visions. He stated, I don't fictionalize any of the events portrayed in my books. I'm really not that creative. My torn veil allows information to be downloaded into my brain from the other side. The scenes I am shown are real events that will happen. Chad and Tammy moved to Rexburg, Idaho in June 2015 when he stated that he heard a voice telling him he needed to relocate there. He proclaimed that Rexburg was the New Jerusalem. And during the post-apocalypse, Jesus is supposed to be the one who comes in and leads, but in Chad's beliefs, it is him who is to come and lead. Chad really thought that his books were scripture and should be taken as seriously as the Book of Mormon. 
Basically, Daybell was trying to create another religion, which was branched off of Mormonism. And while Lori is reading these books, she becomes convinced that they are more than just fiction. So in this sense, I guess you could start to see kind of like a occult mentality start to form. In the fall of 2018, Lori was finally able to meet Chad Daybell at an event called Preparing a People. This meeting is a doomsday preparation focused series of events. The stated goal of which is to prepare the people of this earth for the second coming of Christ. Chad Daybell was a keynote speaker for the event and gave lectures for the group on several occasions. During this particular event that Lori attended, Daybell claimed that they had been married to each other in seven previous lifetimes. This is when they began communicating secretly to each other. After meeting each other, Lori's husband Charles went on a business trip which she thought would provide the perfect opportunity to hold a small overnight gathering at her home. It was reported that Chad Daybell was one of the attendees who captivated Lori by sharing his unique religious beliefs. In this meeting, he claimed to the others to have lived 31 different lives on different planets. Daybell even categorized people as being either light or dark, based on their affiliation with Jesus Christ or Satan. Which I wonder what he considered those who do not consider themselves to be affiliated with either. You know, like the ones that, the people that are agnostic, basically, or atheists that don't believe in either, you know. I wonder what they would be considered. Anyway, Lori became fascinated by Chad's teachings and developed a strong attachment to him because he would refer to Lori as an eternal being of 21 separate lives, five of which occurred with his own experiences on Earth. Chad and Lori both appeared together on November 5th, 2018 on the Preparing a People podcast episode, Time to Warrior Up. Chad even stayed at the Vallow residence in Arizona. As she became dominated with Chad's quirky beliefs, they both shared a well-documented obsession with certain Mormon-influenced apocalyptic beliefs, which are discussed in numerous books and podcasts from Chad. Lori's niece, Melanie Boudreaux, also reportedly shares these beliefs also. Melanie Gibb is or was a close friend to Lori and Chad and was also a part of a podcast with Lori, whom I spoke of a little earlier. She was there when they first met, and watched as their relationship turned from friendship to more. According to her, Vallow and Daybell belong to the Church of the Firstborn. This is a fundamentalist Mormon group who is claimed to identify as a doomsday cult. Lori's friend April recalled the first time she heard of Chad Daybell was when she was telling her about the group she had joined. April stated that she did not confide in her that there was anything more to their relationship other than just 
professional. Lori's mom, Janice, even stated that she had no idea of anything going on with them. All she knew was that her daughter seemed to change after meeting him. One of the last times Lori communicated with April, she stated that her husband, Charles, was already dead and that he had a demon living inside of him and that any day now she was going to receive a call that the demon who was using Charles's body as a host would be dead. Which I think if someone said something like this to me, I think I would have called the police. I would at least kind of evaluate the situation because in essence, it kind of seems like Lori was alluding to the fact that someone was going to die. I don't know if anything would have really came from calling authorities from this statement, but it seems like it was kind of made apparent that her husband would be harmed. One day, Colby called his mother and claimed that Charles had been cheating on her every time he goes to California, spending all of his money on these girls and all that. So when he gets off the phone with his mom, he calls Charles to see what is going on or at least get his side of the story. Charles told Colby that his mother had gone out of her mind recently and that this person was not his mom, which rightfully so freaked Colby out because he had no idea what Charles meant by any of that and Charles was freaking out, to which Colby interpreted the situation as a guilty man being caught because he wasn't making any sense. So this is when Charles sends out a mass email to all of the family because Colby stopped talking to him after that. He told everyone that Lori was crazy and that she thinks she is a god. Needless to say, this effort fell on deaf ears because some felt that the issue was between the couple and should not have been brought to include everyone, while others believed that Charles was basically stating the cliched line that this person is crazy, they're claiming to be God. Charles even called Lori's brother, Adam Cox, sobbing, telling him that he didn't have the same wife anymore. She had completely changed and didn't know what to do. At this point, everyone in Lori's family, except for Adam, shut Charles out because Lori told them not to communicate with him anymore, that they were in this huge argument and he was just looking for someone to be on his side. And you know, family always stick together, so they were going to take Lori's word over what Charles said, which seems kind of crazy to me, but I mean, family is family. You're going to try and stick up for your family member, right? On January 30th, 2019, Charles was on a business trip in Houston, Texas, and Lori actually canceled his return flight home to Arizona. And she had her brother Alex remove Charles's truck from the airport parking lot. Lori sent her brother texts telling him which aisle the truck was on, where he could find the key, and the money that was stored in the glove compartment. Alex then went to Lori and Charles's home and just took all of Charles's items. 
Alex took Charles's clothes, he took his underwear, he took his computer, just everything that belonged to Charles was gone. Furious, Charles called Janice, demanding that his wife give him his stuff back. So, in a last effort for someone to hear his pleas, for someone to do something to help him, he called authorities. In the body cam footage, it was nighttime when police arrived to talk with Charles. He explained that he could not get in touch with his children and that his wife had lost her mind. And he just didn't know how else to explain it. He continued that they are LDS. She claimed to believe that she was a resurrected being, a god, and a member of the 144,000. She said that Jesus was coming next year. Charles further explained that she took all of his personal belongings and emptied their bank account, which had roughly $35,000. The officer asked, what makes her a danger to herself and others? Charles stated that Lori threatened to murder him, which this took the officer by surprise. Charles elaborated that she said, I can kill you. The officer then asked if Lori was, like, said this in a spiritual sense, to which Charles said, no, she told me, I will kill you because you are not Charles and nobody else will care. So she doesn't think you are her husband? No, she thinks I'm Nick Schneider. So the officer then asked, who's Nick Schneider? Charles told him he had no idea who that was. It was just a name she used and he had no idea where it came from. He wanted his wife to receive psychiatric help because there was something obviously wrong. He had already filled out the paperwork for her to be picked up. He didn't know if Lori was home. He could not make entry into his house, so he gave the officer permission to kick the door down. All of the cars were gone, which made Charles visibly upset and worried because he did not know where Tylee and JJ were. The house was obviously empty. So Charles asked the officers, what happens now? Unfortunately, at this point, there was not a crime. They do not know where Lori and the children are, but nothing leads, nothing really points in the direction that something nefarious was going on. He continues to elaborate that Lori had a right to take the children because Charles was not at home at the time. So she was in her legal right to take them wherever she wanted. The officer further stated that if Lori came back in the morning, Charles can call the officers to come back with paperwork. However, the next day, Charles knew that JJ had school and Lori would be bringing him. Again, officers were called to the scene because Charles took Lori's purse and phone from her vehicle. He took her keys and that's when he called authorities. But she had a spare set of keys to her vehicle and just left. Later that day, Melanie Gibb, Lori, and Tylee go to the Gilbert Police Department. She told them that she wanted her purse back and explained that she had told Charles not to come home because she had found evidence of him cheating. From the body cam footage, this 
she seemed to really captivate the officers. She admitted to taking his truck and just everything from him. But none of the officers questioned her actions or felt suspicious of her. So the officers got in touch with Charles, which he was on his way with the purse and the order for her to be sent to a mental health behavioral facility to be evaluated. The officer told her that this psych evaluation could take 24 to 48 hours. And let me just say, from the interview, Lori charmed the pants off of those officers. She was cracking jokes with them, and the officers felt that just from this experience that they personally felt she did not need to be evaluated. To them, she seemed like this happy-go-lucky person. However, they told her that it would just be easier if she went and got it done instead of having them bring her to do it. Lori did go to the psych evaluation and was not committed. While interviewing Lori and Charles, the authorities actually thought Charles was more unstable than Lori. The couple broke up after this. Lori keeps the house while Charles lives and works in Houston, Texas, visiting once a week or so to see JJ. Tylee was also devastated by the living situation when Charles left. Charles also became suspicious of his wife's interest in Daybell. He even received an email from Chad Daybell about becoming a ghostwriter, which Lori responded to using Charles's email. From the email, it stated that Chad would come out to Arizona. Charles could only surmise that the reason for this was so Chad's wife would not question him leaving to Arizona and to continue their affair. Charles sent the email to Lori's brother Adam who told him that they needed to hire a private investigator to catch the two of them together. Charles also told him that he was going to reach out to Tammy about it the following Monday. He even told Lori that he had already emailed and texted Tammy and he would go speak to her in person if he had to. Which she responded with, you're wasting your time. They're both my friends. Move on with your life. We're done. Let's get through it. Adam tried to help Charles as much as he could, but he lived in Kansas and Lori completely stopped talking to him because she believed that her brother thought she was crazy. So Adam told their mother about it and said that they needed to have a family meeting to figure out what was really going on. Charles paid for Adam to come out to Arizona so he could kind of corner Lori into talking with him because at this point it was established that if she knew Adam was coming, she would run away. He also stated that he was going to record their conversation on his phone. On July 11, 2019, while Adam was in Arizona, staying with his parents and trying to figure out how he would get everyone together, when Charles was meant to pick up JJ to bring him to school. At 7.30 a.m., Charles sent Adam a text stating that their brother Alex was at Lori's home. Charles was shot and killed by Lori's brother, Alex Cox, who claimed self-defense 
he called 911, who asked him to perform CPR. Alex claimed that he confronted Charles about abusing his sister and retrieved his gun in response to being struck with a bat, which he did have a laceration on the back of his head. While the police were talking to Alex, Lori and Tylee arrive at the house. From the body cam footage, you can see that Lori doesn't even care that something happened. She isn't sad or worried. She couldn't care less. While she joked and smiled with the officer taking her information, Lori doesn't even ask if Charles is okay. Regardless of whether the couple is going through a divorce, I would think you would ask if the person who is the father of your children is okay. Which, he wasn't biologically their father, but still... He was there to help raise them for a better part of their lives. They considered him their father figure. So I would think that she would ask if he was okay just for the children's benefit. At least just, you know, out of human decency, if nothing else. I know divorces can get messy and bad, but I don't think someone would be so nonchalant about this. Or maybe I'm just naive. I don't know. So, of course, authorities bring Lori in for questioning. Still, she was not shaken or anything. She completely cooperated with them, stating that Alex was staying the night with her because she asked him if he would stay. Knowing that Charles would be there, she was worried he may start something with her that morning. According to her mother, Lori said that Charles was there to pick JJ up, bring him to school, that Charles would drop him off after school. When he helped JJ get in the car that morning, he realized he forgot his phone in Lori's house, so he went back to go get it. And she saw some things on his phone that she did not like. So when he walked in to grab his phone, Lori stated that's when they got in this huge fight. She wouldn't give him his phone back, and she even started running around the house with it, refusing to give him his phone. That's when Tylee woke up and got a bat. They were all screaming at each other, which woke Alex up. Tylee was even interviewed about her part in the whole situation. The poor girl was very shaken during the interview, speaking quickly and with a quivering voice. She was probably so scared she was in trouble, but also because, you know, the man she knew as her father for the most part of her life was dead. Tylee showed more emotion than her mother. Tylee stated that she had stood there with the baseball bat, but didn't really do anything with it. The most she claimed to have done was place it in between her mother and Charles to kind of put a distance in between them. Eventually, Charles took the bat away from Tylee and just told her to go outside. The kids were outside waiting, and so was Lori at this point as Alex and Charles started arguing. That's when they heard the gunshots. Tylee stated that she heard the gunshot, but it didn't sound loud, so she didn't really think it was real. Like, she probably didn't think it was really a gun. They asked Tylee, you know, if she went in the house after that point. 
which she said she did, but she went in through the back and where it happened was near the front of the house. She kind of just kept her head low. She didn't look around. She just went in the house to go into her mom's closet to get her mother's purse and then quickly left the house. Police did not pursue this matter any further because everyone in this incident corroborated Alex's story. It just seemed like it was self-defense, so they just weren't going to pursue it any further. However, reviewing the footage, I noticed that Lori stated she heard the gunshot, looked inside, saw Charles lying on the ground. Then she left to bring JJ to school, which she rationalized this as she just kind of went into mother mode stating, I got to get my son to school. So that's what they did. But really, they went to Burger King and then she dropped her son off at school and then her and Tylee went somewhere before arriving back home. She also stated that her brother Alex called her to ask where she went, which, you know, she explained, you know, she was dropping JJ off at school and told him he needed to call the police. But in Alex's interview, he stated he never called Lori. It may have been an oversight that investigators did not feel the need to look into any further. Like maybe it wasn't really that big of a inconsistency. But still, there seemed to be a little bit of mishandling in this case leading up to Charles's death. After everything, Lori calls her son Colby and tells him that Charles died of a heart attack. He shows up at the house and Colby stated he remembered seeing Alex sitting on the couch with this bandage around his head, entirely just crumbling into his stomach, crying. Things just did not feel right in that house. His mother finally stated that Alex shot Charles out of self-defense. And Alex furthered the story, telling Colby that he shot Charles twice. Charles was the father figure in his life, so all of this hit Colby pretty hard. Later, investigators found out that Alex called police 43 minutes after he initially called Lori. And, shocker, he never performed CPR or any life-saving measures. From the audio recordings from emergency services, you can tell he wasn't performing CPR. Because people who perform CPR over the phone, you can hear their labored breaths while they're, you know, pumping on the chest plate and stuff. When the dispatcher, you know, was walking him through how to perform CPR, he was just like, yeah, okay. You know, there was no, you knew he wasn't going to do it, basically. Charles' autopsy showed that the second time he was shot, he was already lying on the ground. Since he was laying on the ground, there was no reason for Alex to shoot him twice. The first time he was shot, he was already on the ground. So, why would you feel the need to shoot him again? I don't know, maybe it's out of fit of rage. You don't, I, I don't know, but still. The next day, Lori texts his two sons from his previous marriage to inform them 
that their father died. Yes, she texted them. The text read, Hi, boys. I have very sad news. Your father passed away yesterday. I'm making arrangements, and I'll keep you informed with what's going on. I'm still not sure how to handle things. Just know that I love you, and so did your dad. Needless to say, his sons were not happy with her. They tried their best to get in touch with her, but she ignored it. Any texts from them, she would wait hours to respond. Obviously, his children wanted to know what happened to their dad, but she wouldn't tell them that her brother shot him. Instead, she told them that she's still waiting to hear back from the medical examiner. She even told the staff at JJ's school that Charles had committed suicide. Within the next couple of days, Lori files a claim with Charles's life insurance company, but finds out that she was no longer the beneficiary of his $1 million policy. So she didn't get the money from his policy. She texts someone stating that she didn't get the money from his policy, claiming that the demon Ned Schneider, who possessed his body, had changed the primary beneficiary before they could get rid of him. But she would still collect $4,000 a month from Social Security. And who were these messages to? Chad Daybell. After these instances, Colby stated that his mother started acting really crazy. She would make remarks that made it sound like she had enemies that were after her. Then she told him that they were going to move somewhere cold and Tylee was going to try going to school there. The last time Colby and Janice talked to Tylee was when the family was packing. They said she was very quiet, not really talking to anyone and just crying. Everyone felt that something was wrong and they would ask her, you know, what's wrong, baby? What, you know, what, why are you crying? She would say she was fine, that she just felt the need to cry. So no one really knows how much she knew about what was happening and going on. They didn't really know if she knew where they were going or, you know, anything like that. After Ty Lee, JJ, and Lori leave Arizona, Colby didn't stay in contact with them much because he had another milestone in his life. His wife Kelsey was pregnant and they had a baby. But on Tylee's birthday, September 24th, 2019, Colby made sure to send his little sister a text saying happy birthday and that he loved her. He received a text back stating, thanks Colbs, I love you. Everything was written in lowercase and to him something just wasn't really right about the message. It just did not seem like something was just off about it to him. So he called his mother to confront her about it. And he noticed that she acted very strange when they talked about Tylee. But she still tried to convince him that Tylee was in school. She started a new life. She had new friends. And she was just trying to move on. Lori even told Colby, you know, Tylee will call him when she gets a chance. And just, she just kept trying to reassure him that everything was okay. 
One day, Colby was still just trying to reach out to his little sister. And he would receive text messages back from her, but they all just seemed so weird, so unlike her. He finally states, you know, this isn't the way you speak. This is not the way you use punctuation. And he demanded that she call him. So he kept trying to call her. And that's when all communication with Ty Lee just ended. This is also when Lori kind of stopped talking to him as well. Colby's wife decided to start, you know, looking into everything. Researching Lori's name online, listening to her podcasts, and then it finally dawned on her, you know, I'm going to read the emails that Charles sent me before he was murdered. Which, this is something that, you know, Colby and Kelsey, they just didn't feel they should read while everything was going on because they felt that an argument they were having, problems that they were having, you know, it was something that shouldn't have been released to all family members. They didn't realize just how serious everything that was going on really was. In one of the emails, Charles stated, she calls her own daughter a dark spirit. The email was supposedly a family history document. That's when Colby and his wife first hear of Chad Daybell, because that was who sent this email to Lori. Chad Daybell created this rating system where he assigned numbers to people as light or dark. If you're a light spirit, you're closer to God. If you're a dark spirit, you're closer to Satan. He claimed that he could measure someone on this spectrum and distinguish evil spirits from good spirits. So in this email, Tylee was listed as a 4.1 dark spirit. JJ was a 4.3 dark spirit. Colby Ryan's wife, Kelsey, was listed as a 3 dark spirit. So according to this ideology... If you are a very dark spirit, which would be, you know, 4.1, 4.3, your spirit has left and your body is now in limbo. You are now categorized as a zombie. So the only way to free the spirit is to kill the body. Chad claimed there were 20,000 zombies but experts believe that it was a goal to eradicate 20,000 so-called zombies because investigators still aren't really sure what a zombie is considered in this ideology. There is just still so much that is so confusing and no one really truly understands. Except for Chad and Lori. They're the only ones that really understand, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> So everyone in Lori's family was on this list, either measured as a dark spirit or a light spirit. In Gilbert, Arizona, on August 2nd, 2019, Brandon Boudreaux was pulling into his driveway when he was shot at and called authorities. At the time of this incident, Brandon was in the process of going through a divorce with Melanie Boudreaux, which is Lori Vallow's niece. I discussed her earlier a little bit. She is also a follower of Chad and Lori's group. So Brandon never really got a good look at the person who shot at him, but noted that the vehicle was a gray Jeep Wrangler. 
The officer asked if Brian had any enemies, to which he stated that he was going through a divorce and there was some weird things going on with her aunt. He stated that they were the only ones he could think of, though he hoped they weren't behind it. But he was convinced that the person who shot at him was Alex Cox. Authorities recovered the vehicle to find that it was registered to Charles Vallow. Tammy Daybell reported being shot at in her driveway by a man who was wearing a mask who was using a defective paintball gun on October 9th, 2019. She wasn't hit and she screamed for Chad, but the perpetrator in the incident was never identified. Chad would go on to text Lori, telling her that he had some great news. He claimed that at about 10 p.m., Tammy was in limbo and was switched to a level 3 demonic entity named Viola. On October 19th, just 10 days after she was shot at, Tammy was found dead in her home from what was deemed natural causes. She was a 49-year-old woman who was in great health. Chad claimed that she had went to sleep the previous night with a terrible cough and died in her sleep. Chad refused to have an autopsy performed on his wife and the coroners accepted his decision, but her body was exhumed and examined two months later. The results were completed by February 2021, which I will tell you the results later. Police reports also stated that Chad Daybell received $430,000 in life insurance payouts after Tammy's death. Because they had their financial gain and got rid of their respective spouses, Chad and Lori were able to move forward with their end-of-the-world plot. But even with this talk of dark spirits, light spirits, and zombies, Chad also believed that certain people needed to marry on Earth to be sealed for eternity in the afterlife. This is how Zulima and Alex Cox became an item. Zulima stated that Chad gave her a blessing once. He told her that she would get married again. Because the way it was presented was like, in order for people to finish their mission, they always had to have somebody that was going to be equal in their spirituality and equal to them. Chad told her that Alex would be the perfect person who will be able to help her with her mission. So on November 29th, 2019, Alex and Zuluma got married and Alex took her last name. Lori's niece, Melanie, also ended up getting married to someone quickly through this matchmaking process to a man named Ian Pawlowski. They got married two weeks after they met. The group, Alex, Zuluma, Melanie, and Ian, all seemed to be pretty close. And they were also witnesses at each other's weddings and only married a day apart from each other. All the followers in Chad's group carried the belief that the world would end on July 22, 2020. 
So all of these couples were quickly getting married off so that they could meet this deadline. Kay Woodcock, which is JJ's grandmother, could not get in touch with Lori, and she could not see her grandson, so she became extremely worried. By November, she was desperate. Kay hasn't heard from her grandson in over two months, so she calls Gilbert police stating that she was very concerned for his welfare because the last time she had contact with him was a 36-second FaceTime call in August. She further stated that Lori never called them and refused to call her back. No one knows where they are, but Kay was able to get into her brother's Charles Vallow Amazon account where she saw an order was placed in her brother's name on October 2nd, 2019. But Charles died in July, so obviously Lori purchased this Malachite ring, but this also provided a shipping address to Kay. It was in Rexburg, Idaho. On November 26th, 2019, officers in Rexburg were contacted by the Gilbert Police Department to do a welfare check on a seven-year-old boy. When they went to the address provided through Kay Woodcock, they were expecting to see Lori, but were instead greeted by Alex Cox and Chad Daybell. Officer Ray Hermosillo stated to Alex that he was there to check on JJ. Alex looked at Chad, not answering the officer. So Officer Ray asked him if JJ was home. Alex told the officer JJ was with his grandma Kay in Louisiana. The officer then stated, well, that was unlikely because she was the one who called in the welfare check. So the officer asked where he could find Lori, which she was at Melanie Boudreaux's apartment. They all lived in the same apartment complex. Officer Ray felt that there was something more going on pertaining to JJ's disappearance. So he felt the need that he needed to contact more officers to meet him at this apartment complex. Lieutenant Ron Ball, Detective Dave Stubbs, and Officer Kellen Wetton came to the scene. Lieutenant Ball went to talk to Lori, who claimed that JJ was with one of her friends named Melanie Gibb in Arizona. They asked if they could get in touch with her, so they called Melanie Gibbs, but she wouldn't answer her phone. The officers go back to Lori and tell her that they cannot get in touch with her, so so Lori told them, you know, they were supposed to go see a movie today, so maybe that's what they were doing right now. The officers tell her, you know, if Melanie gets in contact with you or you get in contact with her, please tell her to call the officer back. Melanie does get in touch with Lori later on that evening, but she couldn't help but wonder why Lori felt the need to tell them that JJ was with her. Lori told her friend that she just needed to tell them he was with her so she wouldn't have to tell them where he really was. Melanie asked, is JJ safe? Which Lori said, 
yeah, he's safe and happy. Lori stated further that she didn't want to be controversial, but she didn't know what Melanie's intentions were for the phone call, whether she was recording the conversation to give to the police or whatever, but she loved her. Melanie retorted, you know, I appreciate your words, but she retorted, if she really loved her, then she wouldn't have told the police that JJ was with her. That's not what a friend does. Melanie further stated, You can understand my concern, correct? Chad butted in at this point, stating that, at an outside perspective, yeah, but from an inside perspective. Lori quickly cuts him off, stating, From someone who knows as much as you know, no. So the very next day, Rexburg Police Department get a search warrant and go back to Lori's home. But the whole house was empty. They were all gone. And they were still unable to locate the children. On November 27th, 2019, the police went to Colby and his wife's house. Asking if they knew where Tylee, Ryan, and JJ were which they had no clue. Colby asked his mother, telling her that he just had two detectives show up at his house, asking where his siblings were. She told him not to worry about it. It's not a big deal. She'll take care of it. He continued trying to get in touch with Tylee, calling her and sending her text messages, but his calls went unanswered and his texts would just bounce back. The next day, he tried to call his mother, but her phone was dead. So, virtually all contact with his family had been cut off. He then received an email from his mother stating that everything was fine, they were all safe. On December 19th, 2019, Tylee and JJ were officially declared missing by the Rexburg Police Department, which stated that the last time Tylee was seen was on September 8th, 2019. And the last time JJ was seen was on September 22nd, 2019. News outlets quickly caught wind of the story and started blasting the airwaves with news of the two missing children. But not only was it because two children were missing, it was also because they were finding out about everything which happened months prior to this. Kobe started to make a desperate plea by making videos using social media in an attempt that maybe his sister or his mother would come across these videos and know that he was searching for them. Unfortunately, there were some netizens who found this kind of odd, which I get it. You know, if he were involved in the disappearances, these videos would make it appear as though he were trying to cover something. But in the age we live in, social media is a great tool to utilize in sending out a message to a lost loved one, if they have access to the internet. It would be a great tool to use if you do not want to specifically talk to the news outlet also, which was something that Colby made apparent because at this time, news stations were looking for the next big story and were practically vultures. It was something that he remarked that he did not want to talk to, you know, news outlets. So using social media was a perfect tool for him. So at this point, when all these details are starting to become known 
On December 11th, 2019, Fremont County exhumes Tammy's body because there was suddenly a lot of speculation regarding her cause of death because she was in great health. The very next day after Tammy's body was exhumed, Alex was found dead in Zulima's house. He appeared to have died of natural causes with thrombosis blood clots in his lungs. While the death was shocking, it wasn't an odd manner of death because it was something that ran in their family. I think the most shocking thing was that he was so cut off from his family that they didn't know he moved with Lori and they didn't know he was married. But the most shocking detail would soon come. Later that night, Colby returned home to find out that his mother was also remarried. Summer, who was Lori's little sister, found out through watching the TV that Lori had married Chad Daybell. She had married Chad Daybell on November 5th, 2019, just mere weeks after his wife's death. And seriously, they had 666 photos from their wedding. His wife just died and he was all smiles on a beach with another woman. And her ring was the green malachite ring she ordered off of Amazon using Charles Vallow's account. On January 3rd, 2020, police in Idaho searched Chad Daybell's Rexburg home that he shared in with Tammy. The purpose of the search warrant was in connection to what happened to Tammy, but this search I don't think they really expected to find anything, but the search resulted in the seizure of 43 items. On January 26, 2020, Lori and Chad were found in Kauai. Lori was pulled over while driving and was served court orders as well as received a search warrant for her vehicle. Authorities gave her a few days to physically show them the children. I mean, it's not something that difficult to do. Many people around the world were invested in this story. I mean, they were just like, you know, where are your children? All you have to do is physically show us your children. Show us that they're safe and we'll leave you alone. They had people around the world praying for the children's safe return. They had people praying for her. But she was just all smiles. And she would tell the cameras, no comment. Obviously, Lori did not produce the children, and the Kauai police arrested her and set her bail at $5 million. At Lori's bond hearing, she turned to see who all was there and made it a point to look at Brandon, Boudreaux, and JJ's grandparents to just smile at them. She just turned around, saw them, and just gave them this mocking smile kind of it was it was so weird and she completely ignored her son colby but she noticed chad daybell there so janice and summer would go to interviews for news outlets stating that Lori couldn't do any harm to her children that was not who she was and they would tell people you know she wasn't brainwashed by chad daybell that was just insane they truly believed that 
Lori was telling them the truth when she said her children were fine. Which I guess in Lori's mind, they are fine. They weren't fine in the way everyone wanted them to be. It is speculated that, it was speculated that Lori's family was in denial or were just trying to perform some type of damage control. But in my opinion, I kind of think it was more denial, which for it to be denial, it makes it that much more heartbreaking and sad because you know that they didn't want to believe that their child, their sister, you know, your mother, anyone who is related to you and that you are that close with, you don't want to believe that they are capable of committing a horrendous act. And I think that's where they were at, but also, you know, innocent until proven guilty. When investigators received access to Lori's iCloud account, they found a picture of JJ, Tylee, and Alex at Yellowstone National Park on September 8th, 2019. So the FBI and the Rexburg Police Department asked the public to send them photos or videos that were taken on that day at Yellowstone to help them. They knew Alex Cox was an important piece of the puzzle to help find the missing children, but he was dead. However, they did have his cell phone. Using the GPS pings, they found that he was at Chad Daybell's home on September 9th and on September 22nd, I believe. On September 9th, 2019, investigators were able to determine that Alex was in Daybell's backyard for two and a half hours. Investigators also had Tammy's cell phone, which showed that 14 minutes after Alex left the property, Chad texted his wife stating that while he was doing some yard work, he spotted a big raccoon along the fence and he got his gun. When he returned, it was still there, so he got close enough that one shot did the trick. He is now in our pet cemetery. On June 9th, 2020, law enforcement headed out to the Daybell residence again to serve another search warrant. Lori calls Daybell from jail. The conversation was really just weird. The tone of his voice as he told her that investigators were searching his property and the way she asked if there was anything she could do, I don't, I don't know, it was just... Something was off about it. Something was just not right. Well, I mean, obviously, they knew what that meant. But just the way Lori sounds is kind of creepy, I guess. I, I don't know. Chad watched the search very closely and tried to leave in his SUV. His neighbor stated that he rushed down the road at a very high rate of speed, but he didn't get very far as police quickly caught him. The FBI called Colby to inform him that they arrested Chad and they had found human remains on his property near the fire pit and pet cemetery. It was later confirmed that the human remains found and were partially burnt were that of Tylee Ryan and J.J. Vallow. Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow both faced two charges of conspiracy to conceal or destroy evidence at this point. At the preliminary hearing for Chad Daybell, Officer Ray was called to the stand 
asking if he made contact with Daybell. He then went into how, you know, he was dispatched on the welfare check for JJ, and that's how he met him. The officer stated that he asked Daybell if he knew Lori, to which he responded that he only knew her through Alex and had only met her a couple of times. He requested Vallow's number, to which Daybell stated that he didn't have it. But when he was asked for Lori's number again, Daybell gave it to him, which the officer asked, you know, why didn't you give it to me the first time? And Daybell said that he didn't give him the number at first because he felt like Officer Ray was accusing him of something. The judge then called Melanie Gibb to the witness stand. She claimed that Chad called her on November 26, 2019 to inform her that the Rexburg police were going to call her and not to pick up. He told her that the police were at Lori's home and they were asking where JJ was, to which Lori was going to say he was with her. So she also shared with them the recording of their phone conversation which really cast Lori and Chad in a bad light. The next person to take the stand against Chad was David Warwick. When questioned what he was doing on September 22, 2019, he stated he was doing a podcast with Melanie Gibb and Lori Vallow. He was asked if JJ was there during the podcast, to which he said no. Warwick was then asked if he talked to Lori about JJ and he said he did. Lori told him that JJ was being a zombie, climbed up on the cabinets, climbed up on top of the fridge, smashed a picture of Christ down, and got in between the top of the cabinet and the ceiling. He stated that he asked to see him, but Lori said that JJ was out of control, so she had Alex come and get him. When asked if he saw him later that night, he said he did when Alex brought him home to put him to bed. Some speculate that JJ was actually dead when Warwick last saw him with Alex. So I found this kind of disturbing that, you know, she said JJ was a zombie and that he was doing all of this, like acting out. Because JJ had autism and I think a lot of us know that when something changes for people with autism... It's very hard for them to accept, so we can only speculate his sudden outburst was due to Tylee not being there and, you know, the family moving and, you know, stuff like that. I mean, the family basically crumbled around JJ. He didn't have Charles anymore. He couldn't see his grandparents. Tylee was missing, and that is just heartbreaking. So Lori waived her right to a preliminary hearing, but a lot of people were questioning her mental competency. The judge also put a hold on her trial requesting a psych evaluation, which it was determined she was not competent to proceed. She was committed to a mental health facility for 90 days before authorities could determine if she was fit to stand trial. Chad Daybell is currently facing six charges which includes one murder charge of his wife Tammy, the murders of Ty Lee Ryan and J.J. Vallow, conspiracy to commit murder in all three deaths, and conspiracy to commit grand theft by deception. As of right now, his case will not be heard until April 1st, 2024, 
I'm sure this date can change, so depending on all the legal struggles and such, that date may be delayed. Lori Vallow was eventually found fit to stand trial, and she was found guilty of first-degree murder and conspiracy in May. As a jury agreed with prosecutors who said she wanted to eliminate her youngest children as part of a plan to embark on a new life with Chad Daybell, as well as conspiring to murder Daybell's then-wife, Tammy. The judge presiding over the case stated, You chose the most evil and destructive path possible, and that her children were burned, mutilated, and dismembered, and buried like animals. Also adding that while law enforcement, jurors, and himself will be haunted by images of the children's bodies, he saw no sign that Vallow Daybell feels any remorse. Lori insisted she is not guilty of murder and said her victims have visited her in spiritual form and are happy in their afterlife, stating, I know for a fact that my children are happy and busy in the spirit world. The autopsy results for Tammy Daybell that was completed by February 2022 and publicly revealed in April 2023 during Lori Vallow's trial, it was determined that she actually died from asphyxiation. Unfortunately, the story does not end here. It appears that Colby Ryan started receiving a lot of negative media coverage recently. Him and his wife became estranged not too long after the Sins of Our Mother documentary on Netflix was created and premiered. His now estranged wife had accused him of raping her at her home that she did not share with him. He was charged with two counts of sexual assault. The charges were ultimately dropped and as far as I understood, he did admit to performing these acts. He's not allowed to make any contact with his estranged wife now. The case against that could change also. I mean, that's that's still ongoing as well. So whatever the case is with all of this, I just hope he does not allow his mother's choices to determine his future. That's something you do see a lot of the time where the child does not necessarily follow in the parents' footsteps, but they do end up ruining their lives because of their parents' mistakes. They allow that shadow to cast over their life. So I hope that this is not what happens here. I also hope that all parties in this case find peace. And most importantly, hopefully Lori Vallow wakes up one day and realizes what she has done because I really do not believe she fully understands or maybe she does, I don't know. Maybe she does fully understand and just doesn't care, I don't know. So what do you think about today's case? Do you think the family will be able to heal from this tragedy? Do you think Lori knows what she did or was brainwashed? Let me know your thoughts and requests in the comments. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and I will see you for the next episode. Bye.